year was 1942 and the world was at war. America had just joined the fight and Hollywood was determined to do its part. Warner Brothers found an unlikely piece of propaganda in an unproduced stage play called Everybody Comes to Rick's. Released just in time for the liberation of its namesake city, Casablanca was a modest hit and a Best Picture winner. But the movie's claim to classic status grew over time as it became the most broadcast movie on TV and topped multiple lists of the greatest films. But does Casablanca live up to its reputation? Pour yourself a champagne cocktail and join us to find out. It's time for episode 40 of Toasting the Classics, Casablanca. Welcome, I'm Clint Lanier. Dave MacArthur. This is the podcast where we take a classic. Are you sure you want to try to do this? You don't want me to do the intro? You're going to go ahead. All right, go I'm ahead. Gonna do it. Well, okay, this is the podcast where... Well, you just broke it. Now, well, like, I know. I, I, had, broke it. I had it all I planned out. We have a tradition of it. always stepping on uh, stepping on the intro. So. <laughs> Why don't you finish it for me? No, go ahead. Go ahead. No. It's all you. It's all you. You jumped right in there. This is the podcast. Cast, where, podcast, where, right. Where we, we take a, uh, a thing. Uh, yeah, exactly. And we, we do stuff with it. It does have to be a thing. It has, it has to be a thing. We have never done <clears> a <throat> verb on the show. Not yet. Not yet. My kid had a great joke the other day, by the way. Okay. <laughs> My wife gets these verb energy bars. Okay. And uh, he looks at me, he's, you know, 11. Right. He looks at me, he says, Daddy, I wonder if she got the run kind or the walk kind because it's a verb. That was pretty good. I was, it's a verb energy bar. Did she get the run kind uh, or the walk? This kid's got a future in comedy. <laughs> we should be talking about Bill Cosby right now. Huh? <laughs> yeah, we should. We will be later. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, should we well, break the illusion that we're doing two shows back to back? Nope. No? Okay. All right. is funny enough. I mean, there's so many funny lines in that, that there movie. There actually are. Oh, there totally are. They're like my dad's kind of humor. They're super dry and smart. I'm shocked. Shocked to find gambling yes, going a, on in here. Here's that's a winning, probably sir. my favorite oh, thank line. You. <laughs> yeah, that's probably my favorite line in the whole movie. I love that one. Yeah. That's great. They're, they're, it's just chock-a-block full. So like, today on Toasting the Classics, we're doing the 1943 film. Casablanca. Casablanca, that's which right. is a Best Picture winner. It's a Best Picture, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay. So that's, people call this a classic. Yeah, it's this is eligible. This, this is on every classic movie list right. there is. AFI is. Yeah. It's. I think it's in top ten for AFI. Uh, it's in the uh, Library of Congress. Be. You know, I mean, be. it's just on and on and on. It's got to be. Yeah, it has been. It's it's duplicated. It's such a good movie that if somebody asks you what's your favorite movie and yeah. you say Casablanca, people are like, "Come on, try harder." I mean, you know, <clears throat> okay, the whole the whole bar scene. In on Tatooine in the first Star Wars, yes, Casablanca. You know? I mean, it's just Obviously. everything. It's just yeah. it's been repeated. Yeah. It's become a, its own trope, myth, whatever you want to call it. I Definitely. mean, it's 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 as class, classic as they get. This was I, I saw this movie for the first time. I think when I was in college, absolutely fell in love with it. I mean, totally gobsmacked by it. Yeah, and I had never seen it before. And then I I started going, oh, that's where that comes from. Oh, that's where sure. that comes from. Yeah, oh, sure. that's where that comes from. Every scene in the movie, it's like, who framed Roger Rabbit? Okay, what what's from who framed okay, Roger I'm, Rabbit? This is my this is my uh, my Roger Rabbit impersonation. Ready? Oh boy! Hide me, Eddie, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 that's true. Know? And uh, that's a little bit of a. Yeah, right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just you got me to do it. It's a little part like that. Bugs I swore I would never do a Roger Rabbit <laughs> impression on this show, and there I you got, got you me. to do it. We're not even drinking yet. Uh, which reminds me, we, you know should, what? We Let's should go, go ahead and start. Let's right? go ahead and pour. Yeah, I think we should. There's I only, thought you were going to go for inch seventy-five because we talked what? about that previously, and okay. he mentions that when he sees that his. Oh no, I'm sorry. That's a seventy-seven. He talks about a German seventy-seven in the movie. He doesn't talk about no. That's the gun. Yeah, that's the gun. But when the uh, collaborator girl Yvonne mm -hmm. comes mm -hmm. in with the with the German, right. And he talks to her for a second, and then she goes up and orders a French 75, right. which I, I thought is a, must be a play on the gun, right? Well, it's a weird – it is. So I think French, a German 88, by the way. Well, uh, German, German French, 77. French he, he 75 said, was, was created during World War I. Okay. It was named after the French 75 oh, howitzer. Okay. okay, there you go. Uh, so she's French, right? right? And she orders that with a bunch of Germans. So there's something to that. I mean, they're, they're yeah. playing around with that. Yeah, there is. I decided to go with what Victor Laszlo, because I've had French 75, but okay. what Victor Laszlo orders, which is a champagne cocktail. Have you ever had one of those? Uh, well, we've made some cocktails that have champagne. Is that a specific right. cocktail a called champagne a champagne cocktail? Okay, so yeah, what goes into a champagne cocktail? It's really simple. It's just champagne, uh, sugar, and bitters. Now, it's supposed to when be— When you say sugar, you mean simple sugar? It's or, supposed or, to be or, a— or sir simple it's syrup, It's actually I mean? supposed to be a sugar cube. 
Oh, that is okay. soaked in, in bitters. Okay. And then you drop it in the I champagne. see you brought a bag of Coke to the, uh, to <laughs> yeah, the podcast so today. Awesome. I don't have sugar cubes. Good times. Because I don't own horses. Oh, I mean, right. who else owns sugar cubes, right? Uh, yeah, I haven't had... My, when I was a kid, my mom always had sugar well, cubes. I don't do high tea, maybe I, I should say that. Yeah. Uh, but in any case, I don't have sugar cubes. So I used I, to take them and eat them. Who didn't? Like, my mom wouldn't buy candy. So, like, <laughs> if I found sugar cubes, I was like, right. that's candy. We were pretty desperate as kids. We too. were pretty desperate, yeah. But, I also uh, would eat icing. Now, I got... I got uh, California champagne. California champagne. That's not champagne, then. Because I love you. That is sparkling yeah, wine. Like a brother, of course. But, because Yvonne, uh, I love you. Be careful. Don't do what I did last yeah. time. What's what's, what's with us in the champagne? I guess it's New Year's, huh? There we go. Are you are you cool? Are you going to be cool? It looks like it. Yeah, it's going to be cool. All right. So I'll just do... Oh, you know Pouring what? those into our New Mexico True glasses. I'm going to do the sugar. And I'm actually... Did you get those a, at the State Fair? I'm kind of, of course. I'm kind of embarrassed. Or at the wine... At the, I guess at the wine uh, festival. Because I'm not using anything that you usually drink champagne with. Okay. So we're all familiar with the champagne flute, the tall, skinny champagne glass. Uh-huh. And that's what pretty much everybody uses. But that's not the traditional champagne glass. The traditional champagne glass is the one that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is grinning and trying to serve you on the cover of The Great Gatsby. That is a champagne Oh, coupe, is that the, the meme? You're talking about the meme? Yeah, yeah, where he's, yeah, yeah okay. So that is the champagne coupe. You know what it looks like? Can you picture it in your mind? It's kind of a wide mouth, kind of a shallow bowl-looking glass. Okay. Now, the, you, ru- the like rumor... Like a flute? No, no, champagne no. flute as well. Okay. Coupe. No. It's, it's, that, it's kind of a wide mouth. It almost, almost looks like a martini uh, like glass. Like a martini glass. Yeah, okay. but it's... Right. Uh, but it's, it's not angled like that. It's more of a bowl shape. The mm. shape is actually supposed to be... Mar- oh, I know the glasses you're talking okay. about. Yeah. It's supposed to be Marie Antoinette's breast. That's the shape of it. I didn't say anything else, so... Oh, there you go. That's yeah. good. That's good timing. It almost was going to overflow. Your cup almost runneth, runneth over. over. Yeah, i got to fill these up, though. And it stopped, yeah. So what's that color? The color comes from the bitters. Yeah, the color's coming from the we got sort of an orangish... Uh, that's probably what's in the bitters, too, is you probably got orange peel, lemon peel. Okay. Have we um, talked about what bitters are before? Yeah. And there's different kinds of bitters, too. There's aromatic bitters are, are pretty much... What's, the, like what's the basic fact of what a bit, what bitters are? Traditionally, Some they Some kind of herb? Or? Yeah, it's, a, it's like a tree bark. So it's going to give you sort of a gin taste, right? Because gin is pretty much... Gin is juniper berries. That's right. a, lot, a lot different. Oh, I guess it's berries. Um, okay, that's yeah. true. It's not the, it's not can, the, it's can, not the bark of the you juniper tree. kind of smell that. But it's, it's like lemon peel, dried lemon peel, mm-hmm. um, orange peel. Oh, that. so it's different aromatic... Things. Yeah. Okay. And that's really so bitters really isn't going to be any one kind of thing. It's going to be a lot of yeah. So it's Angostura bark. That's what Angostura is a tree. Angostura bark. Interesting. Uh, And other spice flavors, citrus oil, um, Mm -hmm. and colors. So yeah. So you've got you've got essence of different uh, citrus in here. The Angostura bark, I think, is the traditional bitters. Uh Okay. Yeah, Angostura is definitely the brand of several of the bitters that I have at my Angostura bitters, right? home bar. But it is a, an actual type. That's why they call yeah. it that. I think, it's from, I think it's from Argentina, something like that, South America. All right. So we look like we've got a couple of uh, almost like a spritzer-looking drink. Yeah. Um, but it's bitters instead of, well, in spritzer it would be what? like A wine, sh- wine spritzer? Yeah. It would be um, the wine, I guess, giving it the yeah. color. Wine, you probably have some soda water. I think that's it's soda water. And uh, mm-hmm. so anyway, this is what Victor Laszlo orders at the bar. Sasha pours it for him. Oh, that's good. Is it? All right, oh, let's yeah, see. Let's great. see what it tastes like. It's fantastic. Yeah, that's a good drink. It is, isn't it? It's a lot like a spritzer. Yeah. It tastes like a like a little bit. It has a little I bit. I got of a little bit of foil. Oh, did you? No, my apologies. Yeah. That's definitely a faux pas as a bartender to, to put <laughs> some of the foil into the drink. But you're not paying me, so that's true. You know, you want I love you, but. The foil comes for free. Ivan, I love you, but he pays me. He pays me. That's a good line. That I like that. Great. I like that bartender. He's Sasha. Fun. Sasha. Sasha's yeah. awesome. By the way, Sasha is a woman's name. You no, know, what am I talking about? It's the opposite. I always thought Sasha was a woman's Sasha's name. Sasha is a Russian just, bartender. It's short for Alexander. That's my. That's my son's in, nickname. In, in Russian, right? Yeah, in Russian. So, yeah, what is the whole name in Russian? Uh, well, it's Alexander, but then it's you shorten it to Sasha. It's just, it's like William turning into Bill. It makes no sense. Oh, okay. or, or Or John turning into Jack. It's just okay. one of those old traditional nicknames. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, it's, I think it's so that you can sort of decline the word. It sounds better in Russian if you can change Sasha. the ending. Sasha. The ah ending is easier to, I don't know. It well, sounds like a girl's name. Even in Russian, it's a feminine ending. It's weird that that's right. a nickname for, for a very common yeah. man's name, but that's the way it goes. <laughs> well, he does kiss Rick. Does he? Yeah. Oh, after he... Um, said, Get off me, you crazy Russian... They're friends, and re- they were friends in real life. Oh, really? The actor, yeah. They, he actually picked the guy. Oh, that's right. Yeah, like, yeah. He was a yeah, drinking buddy. Yeah, he was a drinking buddy. Yeah. yeah. 
and he's yeah. actually Russian. He actually speaks Russian at one point. I heard yeah. him, and I was like, oh, that's yeah, that's legit. Like that's yeah. actually not you know some of the other. There's like a the Mexican guitar player. <laughs> I think. I think. I think she's supposed to be like in the it, thing. It says Mexican, really? which I was surprised by. It sounded Spanish. I to thought me. it was Spanish. And then as she well. goes off singing like La Marseillaise with yeah, everybody, yeah. and I was like, oh, maybe she's like from Barcelona mm. or someplace. Mm-hmm. But it says that it says it's a Mexican guitar player, and I was like, that's Odd. interesting. So yeah. it's a lot like the Moss Eisley Cantina. It There's is. like people from all over the right. world, like stuck in this place. That's the point. You know, well, and they're all in the shadows, making deals, trying mm-hmm. you know all yeah. sort of stuff. There's this That's one a great sequence where scene, the, the camera kind of pans across the bar, mm-hmm. and you hear these conversations. Yeah, and I was like, scene. that sounds just like Greedo <sighs> talking. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, it's such a great scene. It's like remember, bring cash, and somebody yeah, else says, cash. you know, oh, I've been here so long, and it's just you know yeah. all these conversations going on I'm at Rick's. Going to die in custody. Do you know the the original name for the for the movie? Everybody, everybody comes, comes to Rick's, Rick's which yeah. is what Louis says at the very beginning. Which is part of my biggest surprise, so don't step on it. Okay. Well, everybody comes to Rick's is part of my biggest surprise uh, about the film. Something yeah. I, which is not anything in the film. Mm-hmm. With these things that I've seen a thousand times, it tends to be something about the backstory that I didn't know. And there's there's an interesting backstory there that uh, I didn't know about. Okay. I've always I'll thought that, I've always thought that this was, in a lot of ways, just kind of like the perfect screenplay. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'd say it's the perfect movie mm-hmm. overall, 100%. It's very, very good. Yeah. Um, but the screenplay is just like, I, I can't think of it. The anything. dialogue? It, and it's yeah. it's not just smart. It's also funny. And like like you said, it's funny. It's witty. It flows. It, just, it, it flows just, it really just well. It's just one after the other. They're it's, almost like one-liners. You know, the better part of 100 together. years old, and it's not boring right. at all. Yeah. Like you're watching it, and you're like, I don't know, maybe I saw it when I was a little kid. And I was not as bored as I sometimes was with right. some of my dad's classic films. <laughs> uh, but I didn't appreciate it until I was like in my like college years. Yeah. Maybe maybe high I think I, I think I might have watched it again in high school and I was like, Oh, this is a great movie, you know. But There uh, aren't a lot there aren't a lot of writers that can do dialogue like this. Like they just don't do it anymore. Yeah. They don't do dialogue like this anymore. I would say um I read an article the other day that was saying that um and I think it was Michael Bay had created this trend. Mm-hmm. But they they undermike the dialogue in movies now, so that it gives a sense of realism when you can't even hear what people are saying. Oh, interesting. And, and there was a guy complaining about how that trend has gone so far yeah. that the dialogue is just completely muffled <laughs> just out of movies now. Sounds like mumble rap. And I love to hear the dialogue. I'm a, I'm a dialogue guy. Yeah, it, it may be my bias as yeah. just somebody who loves language, but right. I like I like a movie. Well, I think. That's one of the reasons I think Quentin Tarantino, for me, is one of my favorite mm-hmm. writers because of his dialogue. Absolutely. He's one of the only his, modern people that writes that way. back and yeah. forth dialogue I mean, is, anymore, is, is like this. Yes, right? absolutely. Um, also, there's the a, guy, there's a the rhythm. There's a, Elmore Leonard could do this, uh, the guy that wrote Get Shorty. Yeah, well. His, his dialogue right. in his books. Did he write his screenplays? I think he helped on him. I think okay. he co-wrote him. But if, like, you ever, um, if you ever read his books, at, though. Is it Out of Sight? Is that the one with George Clooney and Jennifer yeah, Lopez? I think so, yeah. That one's really good. Yeah, um, yeah Get Shorty. Get Shorty. I, I'm sorry. I have to look at my phone every now and then because i got a sick kid at home. So right. I'm keeping an eye on that. But the dialogue, like one of my favorite pieces of dialogue in the entire movie uh-huh. is the jilted lover scene. When I can't remember her name, but she's at the bar. Yvonne. Rick, yeah, Yvonne. Yeah, yeah. Rick comes up. Yeah, that's right, because she comes in, right? Just mentioned it. So Rick comes oh, up. Yeah, and he's yeah, like, yeah. where were you last night? That's so long ago. Yep. I don't remember. He's where like, will you be tomorrow? Yeah, oh, no, uh, will I see you tonight? Never like, planned that I never far planned in that far yeah, in advance. That's great. You know, I mean, just these pop, pop, there's pop, a, pop. There's a scene like that. It reminded me in Magnificent Seven at the beginning. Uh, Steve McQueen walks into the bar, and he's just so... I want to use the word laconic, but I don't want to sound like a jerk. But anyway, he's very yeah. laconic. He just doesn't yeah. talk much. So he comes in, and the guy asks him, you know, like, where where are you coming from? And he points with his thumb yeah. behind him. He says, where, where are you headed? And he just points, points with his finger. Yeah. It's like the same yeah. kind of, like. Well, he's, his whole persona is glibness, like glib. Like, yeah. You know, it's just, it's, yeah, just, yeah, it's yeah. not funny. It's not, it's a little bit smart-alecky, a little bit mm-hmm. just kind of like, hmm, you know, not really taking anything seriously. That one's got a good, that's a good script. That is a good one, I like too, that yeah. one. I mean, it's, um, a, it's, a, it's a takeoff of a Japanese film, right, the, the, the basic concept, right, right. But, but the American script is very well done. I thought it was fantastic. Yul so, Brenner and, and yeah, it's the, the chemistry between Yul Brenner and Steve McQueen. But uh, another one of my favorite lines, and we can just do this all day, but yeah. uh, another one of my favorite lines, and I think it's, it's just such a good cutting line that, I don't think people understand how cutting it is. When Ugardi says, you don't like me very much, do you, Rick? Yeah. He says, well, if I ever thought of you, I probably wouldn't. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Or, or something like that. You know, I mean, it's like, what a powerful line. Like, you mean so little to me that yeah. I don't 
like or dislike you. Like, that's just, how little I, I think of you. We could just sit here and do lines back and forth. There's oh, so God. many good ones. Like, there's one. There's a couple of – actually, I think Claude Rains has most of my favorite lines. Claude Rains has a lot Like when he's like, remember, I got this oh, gun God. pointed right at your heart. And he's like, that is my least vulnerable <laughs> yeah, spot. My least I love that. That's, yeah. That kind of stuff is just like – Wouldn't do to have me find myself. You know, have, or, the part, me or the part where he says, you know, he's going to need two exit visas. And he yeah. says – and he says – because he's with the lady, and he's like, well, then he'll only need one. And he's like, I think not. I've seen the lady. <laughs> you know, it's just right. like a lot of yeah. throwaway lines that are just terrific. I know. Yeah. And they, they pick the story up and carry it on their back, these great lines. Yeah. Know, there's so much development. And I think Because there's not, there's not a lot to it. It was all shot. If you think about it, right. it's all shot. Right. I mean, 90% of it's in the bar, right? Yeah. You know, and, and it's around the bar, and they move around the bar. So they just built this set. I mean, it's almost like the Friends apartment you know yeah, sure, it all sure. takes place almost there almost the whole know? film take there's a little bit on they film some there's on the, the runway yeah, at, at the, the airport in and LA there's the street scenes and that's otherwise about I think it's it. just a studio pretty much yeah, yeah. and um, um I so, think I think that when when we think about this movie we talk about the lines and how much character work they do and this movie definitely rewards repeat viewing yeah if I went out to oh, the movies sure. if I went out to the movies and I saw this movie and I came home I'd just be like this was great and you'd be like what what's it about and I'd be like that's really I mean it's, it's about the you know, kind of nothing explain. nothing super impressive yeah, right yeah. when you tell the story. Right. It's the way it's done and that's why I think it had a really modest theatrical run. I mean first of all it's during the war. Well they didn't have a lot of hope for it. They just thought it would be They just thought it was a regular it movie. Was a, but it was. Movie. Yeah. It was almost like a lost movie mm-hmm. until um they started playing it at a theater in Harvard, and it became a tradition. Like, they started playing it at the theater, like, the day everybody graduates okay. from Harvard. Uh-huh. And it became a tradition for everybody to go and watch Casablanca, the last day of school. Mm-hmm. And that took off, like, at a bunch of different campuses. Mm-hmm. This is in the late 60s, early 70s, I think. Mm-hmm. And then it started getting played over and over again on TV. It's kind of like It's a Wonderful well, it had, Life. It had some success, though. I mean, it got it, it best, was, yeah, best it was, picture. Well, this is true. Else, this, is true. I mean, this is true. But, but in terms of financial success, it was just kind of modest. It, it, wasn't, right. some, it wasn't like Gone with the Wind that just played over and over again right. for like two years at a time. Yeah. It was a pretty modest theatrical success, and it really found its legs years later. Oh, yeah. You know, 20, yeah. 30 years later right. is when it really became popular. Um, and I think it's because it, it, it rewards rewatching. Yeah. You know, it's something you sure. want to watch over and over again. You figure out something a little bit more every time you watch it. Mm. I do. I mean, I've maybe seen it seven or eight times over the course of my life. Mm. It's something I watch once every five or six years sure. for one reason or the other. Mm. I don't think it's been that long since, oh, it played downtown at Rio Grande. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was writing my book at the time. Mm. And I went in there and I was watching Casablanca and I was just like in awe of, of, the, writing of the writing in yeah. the movie. Yeah. I was just like, man. If I could ever aspire, yeah, if I could write like to, that, to hit hit yeah. my spots like this dialogue right. is doing, you know, I just, it, it, I, I don't know, it just gave me a lot of insight into the right. into the film. Always, always love the script, but it's uh, it's pretty impressive. And the other thing is, outside of what the film and the story are doing, it's this terrific piece of propaganda. Yeah, it's during the war. It's this huge right. piece of propaganda. You know, like yeah. I mean, all the people singing La Marseillaise. Can you imagine what that would have felt like right. during the war? France is still occupied. When this, when people are watching this well, movie, we when it when it went into production, we were not in the war yet because it went into production in forty two. Yeah, we were in the war in forty two. I know, we, but we weren't actually physically oh, right. doing anything because right. we invaded. We in, this they um, timed the release of this with the invasion of North Africa, which would have been costly. I mean, it was actually taking place right I there. I feel like they sped it up. Yeah, they sped up the they release. Sped up the release, yeah. so, so that they, they could hit it because I think well, the premiere is November. The premiere is November, and then they released it uh, generally in January. Yeah, I think our our troops landed, and I think they landed either in or near Casablanca, yeah. uh, because Morocco is obviously on the right. Atlantic seaboard of Africa. It's a good place to start. Funny fact is that that had this been in real life. Ricks would have been obliterated by bombing. <laughs> oh yeah, we bombed I, the crap out of that oh, place. Oh, I'm, sure. And, I'm uh, sure. and the whole the whole place would have been leveled. So, well, by the time the movie was, like you said, in wide release, Casablanca had been liberated already. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's, it's it's kind of funny that the whole story takes place at a time. When does it take place? It's before Pearl Harbor, right? It's before Pearl Harbor. I think it's supposed to be set. Did they specify? Well, I'm trying to... after they went into France, when did they march in France, forty forty one. Yeah, they, well, they took in forty. In June of 1940 is when. So it'd be between 40-41, obviously, because we weren't in the war yet. Yeah. Uh, do, we know, been, do we know that for sure, right? I, right. Okay. Because because America is out of it. I mean, he, you know, they never talk about American troops. They never talk about yeah. anything like that. There's a bit where when Ugati gets arrested, mm-hmm. when Peter Laurie gets a character get, gets arrested, where 
Rick is standing there kind of watching them, like, haul him off. Mm -hmm. And uh, this British guy walks up, and he's like, I hope you'll do more when they come for me. And I'm like, that's not a story thing. That's England hoping America will do more when they come to conquer England, you know? And I was like, I always love that. That's like this weird little illusion. Right. That's pretty cool. It's like, I know you don't really care about the French, but, like, if they come for England, you guys are going to get in. I don't forgot he was French. Was he? No, 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 no. I'm saying uh, the France had already been occupied at the time of the film, and I think they were just, you know, would you back up England? I I don't know that we would have, honestly. I don't think if the Japanese hadn't attacked us, I'm not sure we would have ever gotten in that war. Well, that was a good excuse to. Yes, it was. It was. I mean, it's clearly the right thing to do, but. We we were already, I mean, we were already giving arms to to England, the Lend-Lease Act and all that other Mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I mean. um, I've been thinking about it lately because, so there's two things. We think the Russians might invade Ukraine, we mm-hmm. think the Chinese might invade Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Clearly, the right thing to do is to support those countries. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, now I'm thinking about it like in the way people would have thought about it before World War II. And I'm watching, I'm like, I don't know that I want us to. Right. I know it's the right thing to do, but I can see why people want to stay it's the, the right heck thing out of to a do, war. But we just did it for 20 years. Well, that know? too, that for, <laughs> so, for nothing. You know, um, yeah. But, I would like to see others step up and do the right thing well, uh, more than us, you know. Clearly, that's not going to happen. But. I know, I know. Yeah, the timing is is really. I think it was it was on purpose. I mean, they were making movies, you know, patriotic movies back then. And, you know, most of of Hollywood was down with the cause. Mm-hmm. So must. So, oh, I can't give. It, I can't talk about that because it's in my surprise. We'll talk about it later. But, <laughs> um, one of my favorite bits is when. Uh, I mean, it's it's a great bit. It's not. It's not going to be a surprise for anybody. But like when he comes in. When she comes into the bar, when Ilsa comes into mm-hmm. the bar, and when he hears the song getting played, yeah. and when he walks out there, and he's just like, I thought I told you never to, and then yeah. he sees her, and it's like they spent the first half hour establishing this unflappable B.A. Yeah. that Humphrey Bogart's character, mm-hmm. that, right. that uh, Rick is, mm-hmm. and to, to see him just get punched in the gut like that yeah. is terrific. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's great. It's like we talked about this with Indiana Jones. Like, I love when the hero screws up or gets, you know, right. weakened in some way. That's... Way cooler than just it's being human. an awesome, he, right? It's he's human. human now. It's, not, it's a way a, more. He's not a superhero. Character. Yeah. Right. I heard somebody say the other day, drama results from someone not getting what they want. Okay. And I thought about that over and over again. I was like, that's almost every every drama in some way is a character not being able to that's obtain my, what they want. My kids' drama every day. Right. Well, exactly. Yes. Especially my teenage girl. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Or not not being able to get what they want, or not knowing what they want right. in some way. You know, like mm-hmm. Hamlet wanders around not knowing what to do, essentially. Right. That's, his, that's his struggle. And this guy, um, I don't know, just not being able to get what you want. If you're, if you're just incredibly powerful and you always get what you want, where's the drama? Right. But Superman is very hard to write. Because how does Superman ever not get what he right. wants? Right, yeah. That's pretty tough. you got to really kind of think around the character to get that. Anyway, so I like that with this character when that happens. That's a good moment. Yeah. Never says play it against Sam. Nobody ever says the phrase play it, it against nope. Sam. Nope. I think that might come from the... Woody Allen movie? What's the Woody Allen spoof of this? Is that yeah, called Play I, It Against Sam? I think it is, yeah. yeah. I think it is. And he may have even paraphrased to avoid getting in trouble mm-hmm. for using a line of the dialogue. Right. Uh, and then that became what people think is the classic line said, from this movie. He just said, you play it for her, you can play it for me, play it. I mean, that's it, really She says, it play it, Sam. Yeah. Like, it's close, mm-hmm. but play it again, Sam, never, yeah. that never happens, so. Yeah. That's kind of funny. I thought you might go for the drink with Vov Clico 26. Yeah. Could you not get that at Kelly's? You know what? I couldn't find it. Yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're sold out of it. Yeah. It just right. ran out today. I mean, uh, the liquor stores in this town are just full of uh, $12,000 bottles yeah. of wine. I the, thought maybe you'd just the snap one. The one liquor one store we have? Yeah. The, sorry. Yeah. The one. <laughs> they did close the That's other like liquor store. That's like saying the one stoplight. You know, town, right. one stoplight yes. town. One liquor they, store w- town. Yeah, yeah, one liquor store town. That's like artificially low number of liquor stores in this God, town. And terrible. part of it is because you can buy hard stuff at like 7-Eleven. Right. Wait, do we have any 7-Elevens in Las Cruces? I think so. 7-Eleven to me just means convenience or store. I sometimes use that. I use it like it's I use Band-Aid. Thing. Who's the guy he keeps out of the bar? They don't tell you. He was the president of the Dutch Deutsche Bank. Deutsche Bank, right? Yeah. I almost said Dutch Bank. Yeah, totally so that's right. kind of... That's kind of a stance he takes very early, mm-hmm. is that he won't let the guy from Deutsche Bank in. Well, I think he just doesn't like him. No, I think he, they, don't, they don't know each other because he's like, he's like, do you know who I am? And he's like, and he's like, I do. You're lucky the bar's open to you. Right. And I think well, it's just a political I, I, stance. I don't think so. I think it's because the guy's a jerk. And so he just yeah. doesn't want – he just – he. I think it establishes that he just – he does what he wants. Like he's in charge. Yeah. I don't care who you are. This is my place. Yeah. Like it's that attitude, right? Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's some things with the Germans, but he doesn't care. He's open to all, yeah. you know, everybody, he says. 
But that guy, that guy's a jerk. Yeah. And so he looks at him. So you think it's know. interpersonal? You don't I think, think so. Okay. Oh, yeah, I think okay. so. I, I thought mean, it was like an early that's, that's non-neutrality, the, That's the persona that he just, then he portrays then. Don't you know who I am? I've been in every right. gambling hall from right. Honolulu to Berlin. You can't keep me out of this one-horse place. And he's like, right. yeah, you are. It's a one liquor store. One, yeah, yeah, one liquor store. What do you think of uh, Renault? Renault. Renault. Yeah. Louis. Louis Renault. Louis Renault. Mm-hmm. Do you think he could be a good guy today? This is going to segue into our next show, which is about um, <laughs> sort of Me Too. Yeah. Um, but he's a bad guy. He is a bad guy. Well, what he tries yeah. to do to that Bulgarian couple yep. is... Beyond kind of dark, that is a very dark character. For those who haven't seen it, why don't you explain? He's attempting to coerce the woman into the, the wife into mm-hmm. sleeping with him, this mm-hmm. like young innocent girl into sleeping with him, so that they can get their letters of transit. Right. And it's probably I don't know if Lamar Celez is my favorite moment of the film, or whether it's when he uh, r- uh, rigs the gambling yeah. to give them their money. It might be my favorite part because it's a little more subtle than Lamar Celez. Right. Although that's pretty awesome. That's yeah, pretty that's stirring. Yeah. I like that, but. I, that's the part where I always get the most yeah. feels is when he saves that couple. Yeah. But then it's like he's just going to do it again to somebody else. You like Louis? Well, isn't that the line he says? He's like, you, you ruined my night or something yeah. like that. Or he's no, like, there'll, no. be, there'll be another blonde in tomorrow and make sure you don't make sure yeah, she exactly. doesn't win. You right. know, and I'm like, yeah. okay, so he hasn't really saved everybody. Like, right. I, this may sound crazy, but I kind of almost understand his collaboration with the Nazis. If not forgive, but, you know, it makes sense. You're trying to do the best you can in a terrible situation right. with the collaboration. But that well, is just Yeah, but I think I that, think, That's evil behavior. Yeah, like, but I, I, think, I have a I hard think, time with that character. I think uh, – but that was part of the um, machismo factor of, of the time, though. You know, I mean, women were not sure. treated very well at all. No, that's anyway, true. Anyway. Well, for, you know? for somebody viewing the film at the time, I think it would have been seen as laughable, rakish behavior. Right. Whereas right. for me, it's like – Almost as bad as being a murderer. They, they would have said, know, like, "Oh, that Louis." Yeah, you know, exactly. Type of thing, and, exactly. and now yeah. it's like, "Oh my gosh, that's that's terrible." It's right? t- it's really bad, and it's really, I don't know, the unforgivable behavior. I don't, I don't think it, I don't think it's me too. I think it's just time, like it's decency. At I the mean, time, in a, in a broad, you know, like Weinstein, I think a lot of the time just kind of coerced with his power women into sleeping yeah, with them. It wasn't right. so much about like a like a physical attack or anything. Right. So it's similar to that. Sure. You know? Yeah. Although yeah. even worse because it's way more coercive than your career. Right. You're going to die in Casablanca or you're going to, well, you know, Wein- Weinstein took it a step further and would blacklist those who wouldn't do it. Right. So, right. I mean, he, he, but being he was blacklisted vengeful. is not as bad as being in a concentration camp. <laughs> That's, you know, yes, it's bad. And I understand people will you know do almost I, anything. To I've avoid never it, seen a but, paper on that, so I can't speak to it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. I'll just have to take it your word. It might be the same thing. <laughs> I have to take your word. No, I, I think. Because um, I really like that character. I still really like the character. As in, as a character, not as a person. I don't want to hang out with somebody that behaves that way. But I still, it's still a great character. Well, it's a great character because he has that one particular attribute. Now, you're a Dungeons and Dragons guy. Right. So you would call him, like, neutral. What, I mean, where I would you, have a hard time with not saying he's evil for doing that. But that's my but today like, standards. <clears throat> yeah. um, that, to me, is something you don't need to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really hurting people. Yeah. That seems like evil behavior to me. I could see how a neutral character might be because of their, like, sexual proclivities might do something yeah. bad that they otherwise wouldn't do. But it doesn't seem – it seems way more intentional. Isn't there, that. like, a good he evil – There's no there, There's, regret. like, a good evil one, though, isn't there, on, on the – So you have two, two, uh, two axes. Mm-hmm. There's the chaos, neutral, law. Okay. This is how much you follow the rules. Okay. Chaotic characters will break the rules always. They hate following the rules. Lawful mm-hmm. characters will always do it. Neutral, they decide. Then you've got your good evil spectrum, which mm-hmm. is you're good. You go out of your way to help other people, right? And then evil is you go out of your way to hurt people. So Rick would be like a good chaotic. I think Rick is probably makes a, an alignment shift okay. from neutral to good. Okay. I think he really is At going out. Yeah, I think he really end. doesn't right, right. care what happens in the war, and that's, that's hard. How could you not care what happens in the war? I think he does really. He got underneath. dumped at a train think, station by a beautiful woman. I mean, I how think could, he's good. Yeah, <laughs> I think he's good, and he's sort of nursing his wounds from right. this relationship, and so that's too. why. And also, I think so too. and also, probably just uh, along with that, just it's it's a time of despair. You know, like France has been conquered. Like it's a pretty dark time in 1941. Right. If this is 41 or 40, you know, this is probably before the Russians are in the war, before the Americans in the war. Once mm-hmm. the Russians and the Americans were in the war, it was decided. There's no way the Nazis are going to win the war. Right. It's just a question of whether they could maybe hang on to something and mm-hmm. co- continue to exist. They were going to be beaten. Um, they didn't believe that, but 
Uh, I think I think everybody understood that. I no, think I think I don't think for, Hitler did. That's a different story because Hitler was a dead man no matter what. Yeah. He had to fight until the last drop of blood because there's no way he was going to be allowed to right. continue to exist. But I think a lot of Germans really thought that when we got to Europe, what we were going to do is side with them and fight the Russians. I think a lot of Germans were convinced that that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, if you think about it, it does kind of make sense mm. geostrategically. Sort of. We ended up siding with the Nazis after the war and, and fighting the Russians. It's right. pretty much what we did. Right. We didn't actually fight, but if you know what I mean, we yeah. took on the, the Germans we could use. Right. And, oh, well, I was just saying what his that, emotional that, state would yeah. have been in 1940, so, 41. I think you would have been in a really low point. So Louis would have been evil lawful. Uh, lawful evil. He's yeah, definitely lawful, lawful because he's following all the rules, going out of his way to follow the laws and the rules. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, yeah, but I, yeah. only those laws and rules yeah, that I could so. have something like could hurt him, because he gambles. But he knows that he he can't get in trouble for that. However, he does what the Germans want him to do because he can get in trouble for that. He could be neutrally. So he, so he protects himself. You get you get two things. You get your 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 law. Mm. I think he's probably neutrally evil yeah. because he'll break a rule if he has to. But he definitely right. follows them when it's convenient for him. You got to figure why is he following all the rules that the Nazis have? It's it's not because he likes to do it. It's because he's going to get. Shot right. if he Otherwise, doesn't do what yeah. they want. So he's protecting you know? himself. Yeah. Yeah. And you see, it's actually a really interesting aspect of this film. I was thinking about this. I read I read this book called Law and Literature mm-hmm. um, by a famous legal professor whose name I can't remember. Um, but he was talking about the role of law in stories, and not just literature, but in film as well. And in this one, the idea of the letters of transit, mm-hmm. the idea that they will always respect those letters of transit is ridiculous. Right. <laughs> it's a ridiculous. It like, is. Like, yes. Yeah. Uh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. What's the word I'm looking for? It's a ridiculous conceit for the film that makes yeah. the film work. Right. Because in real life, if the Nazis didn't want to honor your letters of transit, no. they'll just shoot you. That's well, the whole problem with. I mean, the guy. The guy is like Nazis. The guy is obviously. Yeah, he's obviously undermining. Yeah. What they're doing. It makes so. it makes the plot work to treat the right. Nazis as if they're like we said, lawful evil. Mm-hmm. They're going to follow the rules. They're evil. They want to kill everybody. But yeah. boy, if you have those letters of transit, just there's just nothing. Yeah, nothing do. they can do. We just have to. Fight. They can't touch you. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it's completely ridiculous. But I yeah. always wondered whether it's because they need it to work for the plot, or whether it was because people didn't really understand <clears throat> the nature of Nazi Germany at the time that this movie was made. They treated them a lot more like the enemy from the First World War, mm-hmm. which was the enemy. They were probably the bad guys in World War One, but not to the same extent. Yeah. And I don't think people understood what was happening. World War One was more complex because it was a series World of treaties. World War I was a lot more, yeah, in a lot of ways. It had a series yeah, of treaties of that got everybody into it. And, right. The um, Germans were legally wrong for violating Belgian neutrality. Right. But that's not the same as murdering six million people cold-bloodedly. Exactly. Right. I, like that's, but I, but, and also they're honoring the treaty that they had with... <laughs> With what Austria, right? Uh, well, uh, but against, they violated Slovakia. Well, or they went. They like went that? to war with France. I don't think anybody had a problem with that. Right? right? They honored their alliance. and They went to war with France and Russia. But the thing that brought the British into the war was when they marched through Belgium, which was supposed to be out of it, which is which was an illegal action. Right. You know that's illegal, but illegal is not the same as murderous. Yeah. And completely, you know, well, genocidal, not monstrous. Yeah. You know. Well, yeah. Well, murder on a giant scale, right? Yeah. Genocidal. Right? I've wondered this before. Hmm. If I kill six million people who are not of one ethnicity, are you still a genocide? And then I kill six million people maniac? of who are who are of one. Why? Why is killing? Why is genocide worse than just killing gigantic numbers of people? I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I guess it's worse in sort of an aesthetic way, but it's well, the murder that that counts, right? Not the genocide. Well, we think of it as worse, right? I mean, you're trying to. Well, we do, right? Yeah. Maybe it's because um, not only are you a sociopath. I don't know. I mean, it's also... I think it might be because genocide, and this is going to sound really messed up, but genocide is like attempting human frailty. Yeah. I think people, different groups of people have problems with each other. And I think in the back of our minds, there's always this idea, oh, you can just get rid of those people that give you a problem. And so it's something yeah. we have to make more illegal because it's more... Because ancient people, hunter-gatherer people, would literally go and wipe out the other tribes sometimes. Right. If they could do it, if they could get an advantage, they'd get rid yeah. of them. And I think it lurks in the human psyche in a way that murder on a massive scale, why would you want to do that? Right. That's not particularly compelling. You know, well, I guess for you know someone like Stalin that's using it for ends of his power, that's an interesting question to I think me. You're, so. I, think you are, I think you're onto something that I hadn't thought of is, is they didn't realize what the Nazis were when they, when right. they wrote this movie yeah. because they couldn't. You know, really, they, they couldn't. I mean, I mean, there, one of, there one have of the been things, rumors, and, and I know there's... They're using there's, the phrase concentration camp, so they know that's happening. But that happened... You know where the, you know where the term concentration camp was invented? Hmm. 
in the Boer War, the Second Boer War. Okay. Because the British were taking all the Afrikaners and putting them into <coughs> concentration camps. It okay. was a British term that was invented. It was uh, people died of malnutrition in those mm-hmm. camps, and it was a, a bad thing. It right. was, it's kind of a genocidal activity to do that, but it wasn't seen the same way that the death camps were seen. Right. Death camps are different than concentration camps, I right. guess is what I'm saying. And I, and I think there had been rumors mm-hmm. about it, but nobody really understood the scale of it, what they were, you know, what it meant. You, I was, so I was at a restaurant last night, uh-huh. or this is two days ago. We went for lunch, and um, we walked in, and I walked up and said, a party of three. Mm. And the lady said, okay, put together some menus, put some silverware on top of it. And mm. another party of three walks up, and she says, oh, they were here first. And so she's like, just a second. So she gets different menus and different silverware, stacks them up so she can take them in. And I'm like, oh, that's good because... Those were our menus and our silverware. <laughs> it made no sense. Yeah. <laughs> They're completely interchangeable. Yeah. Like, what, why? I just got a text message from my daughter. She said she's going to catch up on the podcast on her flight. Mm. So I'll be happy. Hopefully we Listener have number eight. Thank yes. you. Yes, listener number eight is very important to the podcast. <laughs> so, so where were we? Are we talking about the film? Or you want to talk about genocide some more? Yeah, the film. I, mean, I, I could talk know. about genocide all, all day. day. I know, nothing I know it's your nothing favorite, more fun. Yeah. I know it's your favorite topic. What's the age difference between Rick and Elsa? I was wondering that myself. It's big, isn't it? It's huge. It's probably why Harrison Ford, I'm sorry, George Lucas, Mm -hmm. thought about having Indiana Jones be so much older than Marion. Probably. I bet that was somewhere in his conscience he was thinking about. He was always like, wait, how much older is Humphrey Bogart? But not 14 and 25. No, I don't know where that creepy (laughs) idea came from. But, like, he's got to be. 50s. Easy. Oh, I don't think he's supposed to be in his 50s. I think he is. Okay. Well, I think he was. You know, Wilford Brimley. In, in real, in real life. You know, Wilford Brimley. Yes, right? he always looked. Wilford old. Brimley. Yes, yes, he always always played an old man, yeah. and he was like ten years older than we are now. In the old days, well, I, I think, think I think Humphrey Bogart's character like in, might be younger cocoon, than I am. In Cocoon, Wilford right. Brimley was like forty-five or right. something like that. Exactly. Well, but he, he looked, just looked old. He looked eighty. But in the old, but a 1943-50 is an old man. Yeah. When you well, get into your 50s point. and the 40s, you're all that's a really yeah. confusing way to phrase yeah. that. When you get into your years of being in your 50s your in the years, 1940s, sure. uh-huh. you're already an old man, I right. think. I mean, yeah, you're probably right. I, I just think people were older. Well, people talk about that all the time like, you know, when I was a kid, and it's true. When I was a kid, somebody that was in their 50s was old, like wore a sweater. My first memories of my grandfather, <laughs> like I think old. I think my you know? first memories of my grandfather, he would have been 59. Yeah, same year. And he seemed like yeah. an old right. man, like an old man. And then right. when I look back, and no, not really. Yeah. But part of that's perception. You're but, three, but now, you're three everybody's now, I mean, old. Turn you know? on any, any commercial. Uh, you've got like 70 years old. Have you been watching old, like, uh, vacations The Book of Boba Fett at all? No. Okay, so Jennifer Beals. You remember her from mm-hmm. Flashdance, mm-hmm. right? She's in it. Wow. And she plays like one of the Twilight ladies, you know, with the tentacles. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, she looks great. Great. Yeah. And she's she cannot possibly be younger than fifty if she was in Flashdance. Nineteen eighty two yeah. or whatever that was. That was. A few years ago. Right? She's gotta yeah. be in her fifties. And she looks terrific. Yeah. Like and I don't think it's just because I'm old. Like I think people just look better when they get older these days. Not everybody. There's some. I mean, no, not every, no, no, yeah, not everyone. Well. No, no. There was a picture of um the what's the name of the guy that went to the to the riots in Wisconsin and shot people? Kyle Ritterhouse. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a picture of his mom. Uh-huh. And I was like, that's got to be his great-grandmother. <laughs> and they show, she was 38 years old. Yeah, I was she, like, if, she's six years younger than me. But she's also very obese. Yeah, I know. And, I mean, I'm she's so got – she's, she's led a life <laughs> that me. has aged her. And I, I was think thinking part about, of it – cigarettes is a big part I of was it. thinking about, about Humphrey Bogart. He smoked, like, yeah. non-filtered yeah. cigarettes all his life. I think that's one of the big things that aged – Drank like a you. fish. Yeah. And there's a close-up where it's just like – you see all these lines on his face, and, and like, looks a lot like me, <laughs> actually. You know, and yeah, I'm thinking, I mean, you know, surely I've he's. Been, I've been thinking lately. If you, <clears throat> if you get real close, you get a good look at me. Yeah, you see crow's feet and sure, stuff sure. like that. But from far away, I don't look. Uh, he's, you know, maybe that, it's a black and white. I don't know. But, I think uh, people in their 40s used to look really yeah. bad. Like that's what I'm saying. Ky- Kyle Ritterhouse's mom is what I think people <laughs> always look like. She's 38 years old. She looks like she's. But I think 65. I think they they actually make it worse because you know the whole thing like with Ingrid Berman. Whenever she's on film, they would use a particular filter uh-huh. that would, like, soften everything. Right. Like whenever she was in front of the camera, notice, like, her face is glowing. She also like would soft. only let herself be filmed from the left side. There's almost no shots of her right. in the film from the right side because right. her favorite yeah. was the left. And the way the, the way the movie happens, there's not, it's not very dynamic. It's sure. not like so it's Aaron, easy to do. It's not like she's Aaron always, Sorkin. People aren't, like, walking Well, she's always, like, sitting somewhere, right. typically. So. Exactly. So. But, I mean, but the point is, like, they make her glow. They make her – and it, it – 
effects. I mean, there's that when she first enters, she looks like a freaking ghost. When he's at the bar, yeah. Sam's playing, you see the door open and she's wearing a white dress right. in, in the doorway and everything's dark except for the doorway and her in a white yeah. dress. And it's like, she looks like the ghost of Christmas past. Right out That's loud, one right? of the, so. And then there, plus she's literally glowing because of the filter they're using. There's a big controversy when Ted Turner bought the movie and colorized it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't really care about it in terms of, you know, san- sanctity, you know, you yeah. can colorize. But the thing is this film was shot so carefully yeah. and so well. Right. Don't screw with that. Yeah. Like keep it. And that's, it never took off. People don't watch the colorized version. Right. I don't even know if nobody, it's available yeah, anymore, does. you know, yeah. um, because it just doesn't work the same way. Now you need is, that. This sh- is it's not, filmed in a very noir style. And I, you I was need about the, to say, the yeah. shadows. And this isn't like film noir as a genre, but, but, right. the, but the shots are. It's shot that way. Yeah, yeah. shot that And Humphrey Bogart's a kind of a classic star of those movies. He's got yeah. the Maltese Falcon and the Big Sleep, right? right? He's in both of those. And no, it's the. Treasure of the Sierra Madres. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I watched Calvin. that. Yeah. That movie sucked. <laughs> I saw that. I remember my dad told me it was this great movie. He won a Best Actor Oscar yeah. for it. And yeah. I watched it. I was like, this is like Training Day. Yeah. This They gave him the Oscar because he's Humphrey Bogart. Right. And that's yeah. great because he's terrific in a lot sure, of stuff. Sure. They gave Denzel Washington the Oscar for Training Day because he's Denzel, Denzel Washington. Washington yeah. He's awesome. That's not that good Did of a movie. Did you ever see uh, African you know? Queen? Yes. That's yeah. a great. He's a lot that's, of fun in that one. That's a color. That's a color That one's color. The one I saw was color anyway. I think it's a color film. Yeah. That one's really good. That one yeah. holds up. My, I watched it with my little kids. I, got, I had one five-year-old, yeah, that's a, that's a fun movie. one ten-year-old, and they just sat through the whole thing. <laughs> he's, very, very he's, uncomfortable depictions of Native Africans. Yes. Um, and so we had to have a little talk about that. But yeah. uh, otherwise, also, it's a really uh, fun adventure movie. rampant drunk, uh, you know, going up and down. True Do you, story. So so okay. uh, I think it was, was it uh, John Huston, I think, was the director for that movie? I don't know. I believe. But Humphrey Bogart's completely different in that. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. He's not the same. And that's because that character is very different. Everybody on set got dysentery. Everybody. Was it actually filmed in Africa? uh, Yeah, except for Humphrey Bogart and John Huston. Because they drank nothing but gin. Scotch. Yeah, okay. The entire movie. Yeah, (laughs) they drank nothing but scotch. There you go. That'll uh, keep you safe. (laughs) It will. Bring along a big keg of beer and just drink that. Life life hack. One of my Mm -hmm. favorite things he says, another another great line, is when – the, uh, the the Vichy French guy and the um, the Italian guy are walking in the yeah. door, and he's like, if he gets a word, it'll be a major Italian victory. That's great. Speaking of the Vichy French thing, I love the thing at the end. The Vichy water? Yeah, where he takes the Vichy water and throws it away. Yeah. And then they have that, you know, they, there's a whole bunch of great lines in that scene. I mean, that scene's so good and so as, classic, yeah, classic that it's good. like a tr- it's it's trite. Yeah. To say it was good, right? But it is. It's a great scene. It's a great ending. They tried to add a little bit. They were going to put a little coda where they were in uh, what would be today the People's Republic of Congo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, yeah, don't, don't, I don't need that. <clears throat> right. But then I'm wondering as I'm watching it, I'm like, what are they going to do in Brazzaville? <laughs> How are they going to affect the war? <laughs> I don't know. Well, they're, they're part of the resistance now. Well, right. who are they resisting? And you know, it's three thousand miles south, nowhere near any Germans. Well, like, they were just throwing darts. They didn't know where. where anything. I mean, the I word really like there's a just... free French garrison <laughs> in Brazzaville. Oh, great! All we have to do is cross the entire Sahara and right. then the rest of West Africa. They were throwing darts. They didn't know what was going yeah, on. And I, we we just landed in North Africa, so I know, guess so. Yeah, sense. and then they'd be like, "Oh darn, we could have just stayed in Casablanca <laughs> right. basement for a couple of weeks." Yeah, yeah. we should have got to Italy. Yeah, I, could, I I was actually thinking about African Queen because I'm like, that's in World War One. Yeah, and they affect the war. Mm-hmm. By fighting the Germans in, in, I guess it would be Central Africa. Right. I think it's in Uganda, more Somewhere, or less. Where yeah. that, but um, <clears throat> I'm like, what are you gonna do in, in the Congo, <laughs> in World War Two? There's really nothing going yeah, on not there. Like, well, like I said, they're just throwing darts. We hadn't really. Gotten let's into go it yet. die of malaria for the cause. Now, if you, you think know? about it, let's okay, get dengue so fever. That'll. I, be I don't want to step on your your surprise or anything, but we're 47 minutes into it, so we could probably oh, that's get about closer. The time when we can start talking about it. But if you think about the timeline, okay. So this was written based on a script called Everybody Comes to Rick's, mm-hmm. yep. okay, which was a, an unsold live stage play. Right. Okay. Never, which was never, well, never was per- performed later, but wasn't performed. Wasn't performed. So they got that in 42, beginning of 42. Okay. So that means that the stage play, the original one, would have been written in 41 and 40. Yeah. Which would make yeah. sense if you think about yeah. a yeah. lot of the logic behind it. Right. Like Vichy France, uh, so they they had invaded France, so it had to have been late forty then, or forty one rather. I think so. I read a little bit but about that, that I time, read a little bit about the play, and I think the I think that the originally the play uh-huh. and the film were supposed to take place like before the fall of France. I think they changed that stuff. 
Huh. I'm trying to remember what it was. Oh, you're right. You're I right. looked it up you, and I yeah, read about it some, because it was very yeah. surprising. It was very different than what you there, think. There were some differences, yeah. I remember Rick was supposed to be a lawyer or something like oh, that. Oh, I didn't hear that. That's yeah, weird. That's, that's some that sucks. Stuff. Yeah. That's, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> I, know, I know. I like his... As a lawyer, i got to say that does not yeah, add anything to the, to work, the conflict. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, uh, but it, it, it does line up, though. If you think about how long, right. you know, when the original would have been made, how some of those logics kind of fall into place. So they bet... 20,000 francs gets changed to 10,000 francs. How much money do you think they bet? Francs? Yeah. 10,000 francs is the bet over whether Laszlo gets out of Casablanca. He just lost 20,000 francs. He wants it back. Right. I'd say two grand. Uh, so it's $200 in 1940 oh, okay. dollars. All right. It's a, I think that's about right. I think you've multiplied mm, by 10. A couple grand. Yeah, yeah. A couple, maybe $1,000. You know, like it's, yeah. it's a lot of money, but yeah. it's... Not worth all the things that go on yeah. in the film. And <laughs> right, the money right. is not the, the MacGuffin. The MacGuffin is, I guess, well, how much, the letters how of much transit, did he? Obviously. How much did that kid win to buy the letters of transit to get him out? They don't say. It was like 30 or 40,000. That's probably uh, – no, it? I don't think like, it's that much. You don't think so? He says – oh, when he goes and talks to the guy, the roulette – guy that runs the roulette mm-hmm. wheel – he says, how are we doing tonight? And he's like, a few thousand less than I thought, boss. But, you know, yeah. so I think it's like 3,000 francs. It's okay. not that much money. All right. Well, um, it all goes to Louis. All goes to Louis, yes. See me afterwards. Oh, oh. Lordy, oh, I was so proud of you yeah, before for not doing that. We got excited. Yes, well. Um, so what do you think of Ingrid Bergman? She's a babe. Okay. Absolute babe. I meant as a human being, Clint. I wasn't just um, judging her on her physicality. Oh. But, yes, yeah, she's very beautiful. What yeah. did we? Oh, uh, you weren't on that episode, but we did. Um, we did to catch a thief, and uh, hmm. it's very comparable to Grace Kelly. It's like her face, and her beauty, and her glamour, and stuff like that is a huge part of the story, right? right. Like I was going to tell a story about a very pretty girl I met from Minnesota of Swedish extraction one time, but uh-huh. I don't know. Maybe that's an appropriate story. I don't know. Maybe not. Yeah, Earmuffs probably not. No, it's nothing. Nothing scandalous. But mm. I, there was this. There was a girl I met, and I was about seventeen, and I remember thinking. Wow, this is like the prettiest girl that I've ever met. Like yeah. it's amazing. I got a picture of the two of us, like for you know, and then years later, my friend that was with me on this trip to Florida, where we met her, sends me an IMDb link, and it's this this girl who ended up being like a like a famous actress. She's wow. like uh, the show, um, the one with Claire Danes, uh, where she's like a spy in the spy networks and stuff like that. It's okay. got I know what you're talking about. I never watched it either. It's got um, Mandy Patinkin. Homeland. Homeland, Homeland, yes, Homeland. on Homeland, yeah. So it's like the girl who's like the honeypot to catch the terrorists. That's she, that, she, plays oh, she plays her. her and right. I saw it, I was like, yeah, she grew up to be amazingly pretty. Yeah. You know, I don't know if she's the actress that Ingrid Bergman is, but I, I will say that there there was a, a different sense of beauty at the at that time. Yeah, you think of like yeah. Rita Hayworth, Ingrid right. Bergman. Right. I mean, there. I mean, my I gosh. Actually, you know, the you leading know ladies I think of the that 40s black and white. And 50s, I think black 30s. and white captures bone structure in a different way. Yeah, and there was maybe. a different kind of beauty in those days yeah, because of those perhaps. shadows. Yeah. You needed like sharper features. Maybe, yeah. It's kinda like you needed a different voice to be not to be in a silent right. movie than right. you did to be in a talking picture. And I think it changed the But the, you, know, you know, the unfortunate part is that they were just thought of as just pretty faces. What what was the one um you heard the story, and I can't remember her name, but she was a she was a bombshell from Germany, who invented Marlena Dietrich. Yeah, Marlena Dietrich, who who invented all these things. Uh-huh. She invented like. A, oh no no that's Hedy Lamar. Oh Hedy Lamar yeah Hedy yeah. Lamar because we talked right or, yeah. Or am I saying no, the no, name no. from Blazing Saddles? That's Hedley Lamar. Hedley. <laughs> Hedley. <laughs> yes, Hedley. Look, right. Hedy Lamar. Hedy that's Lamar. Hedley. Yes, it's yeah. a fascinating story. Yeah. Go everybody out there. This is not today's podcast, but go look her up. Yeah, she's for sure. fascinating. There's a, there's a Brilliant, documentary about like, her. She, genius. At, she held numerous also patents. Beautiful and yeah. capable of speaking like five languages. It's just a really. But the tragedy character. was that so she held all these patents for all these things that helped legitimately win the war, mm-hmm. and they had to say that her husband invented them because nobody would take her seriously mm. because she was a pretty yeah. actress, right? Yeah. And uh, so it's one of those tragedies, you know. Yeah. At the same time that that. Uh, Triumph and tragedy. She's a fascinating character, though. Yeah. Really, really Very interesting cool. uh, person. But um, and I recommend people go look her up. All right. So we're at 52, 53. One last question. Okay. About good guy, bad guy. Okay. Humphrey Bogart's got the gun trained on Major Strasser. Yeah. Right? Major Strasser goes for the phone. Plugs him. I mean, put that phone down. But not, don't be so hasty. Okay, this is what I'm asking about. He goes for the phone, and he's like, put that gun, put, put that phone down, you know? And then... Major Strasser draws on him, and Humphrey Bogart shoots him. Right. 
Could he or would he have shot Major Strasser for picking up the phone, ruining the whole plan by being on the phone and like get, maybe maybe Victor Laszlo gets caught? Could he have shot him if he hadn't drawn on him? Yes. Okay. Yeah. But do you think that the script needed Strasser to draw? Yes. So I'm like, it would have seemed pretty cold. But it's kind of like Han Solo shooting Greedo, right? right? You're like, it's pretty cold-blooded, man. He but at the first. same time, I mean, you're yeah. right. Yeah. You know, you're not wrong. He's got a gun on you. I figure yeah. somebody right. points a gun at you. Yeah, but he could have shot him at any time, but he waited until he drew. I mean, I'm all about shooting Nazis. I'm not letting the Nazi doesn't need but to maybe, just may, kill a Nazi. Maybe it's but. one of the, one of those things that you know it's a moot point. He drew no matter what, mm. right? So would he or would he not? I mean, because yeah. that's kind of the thing with Han Solo. Han Solo had the gun out, right. trained on him, and waited until Greedo pulled a gun on him. And no, then Greedo shot had him. the gun from the yeah. second he got right. Uta Guta Solo. He's got the, the right. gun pointed at right. his chest. So the whole time Han Solo is under the gun. He's cool. He can yeah. shoot. You can yeah. shoot that guy. Uh, although, really, Greedo's just doing his job. But you know, one you know. dead Nazi. You know. No, no, that's I mean, fine. It's, yeah, it's, absolutely. It's, it's no, dead yeah, Nazi, so. I'm just curious from a from a screenwriting perspective. Right. It's kind of a cop out to have Strasser draw the gun. Is it's, kind of a cop out. I don't out. think I don't think it's a cop out. I think it. I think it's a. It is convenient. That's what I mean. Yeah. I it don't would th- have been. It would have been more out. interesting if he was just like put down the phone. He's like no, and he's like Shoes boom, him. just yeah. plugged him. That would be. It would have been more interesting. Like, but it, it wouldn't have been keeping with the time though. You know. I know. I, I don't think it would have. Well, been. they all they had rules about what yeah. you could do. It might not have even been a choice. Good for guys wore white. You know, he's in a white tuxedo from the very. People had to be punished if they did something wrong. There was that. There was that rule for a long time. So anyway, let's let's do biggest surprise. Okay. What's your biggest surprise? Oh, I'm going first. Yeah, you chose it, so it'd be weird if you had a surprise. I if feel, anything I feel, I feel you. terrible about this. Okay, but as many times as I saw the movie, I could have sworn that Sam was played by Louis Armstrong. Oh I my just, god! I just had it in my mind. <laughs> Satchmo, you're voice, one of those people who saw Ghostbusters two and didn't notice that they changed the actor for the second film. No, nah, I probably did. They didn't. But, they didn't change the actor. It's a running. Uh, okay. It's a running gag. <laughs> but you know, it's it's uh, it was. I mean, there's it's the Mandela effect, right? Yeah. 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 I, I don't. Well, know. it's like Shaquille O'Neal was in that movie. No, sorry, Sinbad was in a movie about a genie. Yeah, and so was Shaquille O'Neal, right? Shaquille O'Neal actually was in a movie about a genie. Yeah. Everybody of our generation oh, remembers Sinbad. a Sinbad film <laughs> right. playing a genie. Yeah, yeah. Probably because his name is well, Sinbad. Sinbad. Yeah. Well, he always wore those big baggy pants. How do you spell too. Berenstein Bears? No idea. The last part's Steen, Baron Steen. I don't know. It's S T A I N. That somebody told me that, and it. I was like, no, they changed Baron that. Steen, Baron. And I went back and looked at all the old books I have. Sure enough, it's S T A I N in all Baron of them. Steen, My Baron. whole life, yeah. I would have said S T E I N. Yeah. It, that weird. That was. That's a big Mandela effect one. But but uh, yeah. So I, I Louis Armstrong. I, I was I always thought because I mean. And I was getting it from the voice. I mean, I, yeah, I was, he's, I was, do, he's doing Louis Armstrong. He's, he's definitely. He's what's, got, the actor, what's the actor's name? Uh, something Dewey, I think. Um, that on. sounds right. Yeah, that sounds right. Hold on. Melvin Dewey? No, I don't know. And he was. And what was funny is he he was uh, he was not a piano player. Okay. So he had he was acting like he was playing piano. He was actually a drummer, and he was a band leader. He was a band leader okay. in the twenties and thirties. Uh, Who's got trouble? Dooley Wilson. Dooley Wilson, there you go. Play Sam, yeah. We got trouble. But, uh, yeah, so he was, a, he was a drummer, band uh, leader in the 20s and 30s. Okay. Got into acting in the 30s and 40s. And uh, st- he was a co-star, like kind of like the sidekick co-star in a few movies. Well, that, 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 that big brings up a question. How many times have you seen this movie? Quite a few. And you, you know? never noticed it wasn't Louis I, Armstrong? I just, I just always, huh. I just, I never, I was never, well, see, I never, I did, I've never watched it like I watched it for this episode. I watched it a lot more critically. Right. yeah. Going in, you know, for this, for I, this like podcast, I said, right? that that time when I was working on dialogue in my book, mm-hmm. and I sat down to watch Casablanca, I was just on the edge of my right. seat. I was just, this is just a masterpiece, you know, like just watching it in a, with a very critical eye, and as a person who knows what it means to try to write a line that, right. that gives character, one of the one of the big things I noticed about that is like my book's fantasy, yeah, and I realized that in Casablanca, it's not fantasy; it's the real world. And right. the fact that it's the real world does a lot of the heavy lifting for the writer. Right. You can have, you know, you're talking about a war. that People know what happened in the war. Real events, yeah. England's real events. a real place. France is a real Nazis place. Nazis are real Germany, bad people. Nazis are yeah. So you don't have to. One of the worst things about writing fantasy is all the yeah. exposition you have to do, like bringing right. in like, this is what this kind of person does in this right. world. You know, and it's, it makes things a lot harder. Yeah. So anyway. But um, yeah, so, so that's your my, biggest surprise was the, the absence of Louis Armstrong. Yeah, that, okay. I, that I just had him wrong okay. all this time. I mean— you can be forgiven because, like I said, he's doing Louis Armstrong. 
his, I mean, he sounds identical to my hair is curly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, he sounds yeah, no, he does kind dead of sound on, like, yeah. you know? But Louis Armstrong, trumpet man. You right? must remember yeah. this. Yeah, exactly. A kiss is just a kiss. Yeah, Louis Armstrong is trumpet. Right. But, I mean, he, but he was also a band leader. I think Louis Armstrong played piano as well. The kind of talent that that I'm sure he played every Satchmo was the best. But, yeah. I mean, I just, I think that's who he was supposed to be. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah. that's my that's yeah, yeah, my yeah, that's, that's my embarrassed that. that's my embarrassed. But that's uh, like admit, thinking that uh, thinking that the the guy um, the guy in Army of Darkness, Bruce Campbell, was actually Elvis Presley. <laughs> it just kind of looks like him. Like, <laughs> well, I had known that Elvis was dead by the time. That's you know, true. You know. That's true. By ni- by ninety three yeah. or whatever that was, Elvis was dead. Well, there was there was a as far as we, as far as we know. So my biggest surprise, and we've talked about this already, we did step on it a bit, is the existence of the play. Yeah. And and to me, to some extent, that explains the brilliant script. Yeah. Because plays are about words. Right. They're, they're, they're just doing a different thing. And the fact that the words are so awesome in this movie. Right. So good is because it's written as it it's all dialogue. originally written yeah, to be dialogue. just dialogue. Because they, and, say, they say that playwrights are all about the words and, yeah. the, and, the, and people that do film. I think it was part of the process Visual, of this movie. Yeah. Is that the the film people were trying to convince the other? There's a there was a conflict between the two writers. I don't remember their names. Yeah. One guy was coming from the theater side, and one guy was on the film side. And the film guy was There's like three writers. Yeah. But there was a there was particularly There's a twin, conflict twin between brothers, two of them. Yeah. Twin brothers, and then the other. And one. they were saying that a lot of the um, the film guy was having to convince the, the theater guy to be like just let. The shots do the yeah, work. Let right. what people do, their faces right. and the way they stand, do some of the work. It doesn't right. all have to be words, which is like it's why the movie's good because it's, the film guy nailed it. But the reason why it's just sublimely good is because it's this this the dialogue is combination so, of them so yeah. damn good, like yeah. just really well done. And in the play, it all took place in the cafe. Mm-hmm. No, n- nothing outside of that. I mean, I and, thought, that, and that's what a play typically does. It, I always it's thought Reservoir one, Dogs would have made a good stage play. Yes, because it's like it's set in this. Well, one. it sort of does. because you know, sort of, it's all flashbacks that you see. Yeah, flashbacks Almost from all the inside the warehouse. In warehouse. Yeah. yeah, there's like the, inside, there's yeah. a diner scene at the beginning. You wouldn't be changing a lot of stage. There's a diner scene. There's the rehearsal scene where he's rehearsing the jokes. Um, right. There's the right, planning right, scene right. where why do right. I have to be Mr. Pink? You know. Yeah. And then there's, there, a couple, there's a couple, and then there's the the scene with the car where he shoots the the lady. Yes, that's like there's that, some you know. action sequences that take place. And, and, and that's, the bank robbery, a little that, bit of it, a yeah. little bit of the bank robbery, yeah. and that's about it. Yep. You know? Yep. And but, um, but I always thought you could do it as a stage play, yeah. and just to have everything for sure. And, and it's and it's because like Tarantino's all about dialogue. Yeah, absolutely. Hateful Eight is like all in that one. It's room. all in that room. Yeah. They go outside a little bit. Yeah. There's a, there's a stagecoach scene at the beginning. Yeah. Him and Samuel Jackson are on the stagecoach. That's really good, by the way. Yeah. Um. Anyway. So my biggest surprise was that. I also was surprised that we had pretty much already liberated North Africa at the time this film came out. Right when it came out. Yeah. I think that's that yeah. kind of surprised me. I sort of was placing yeah. the movie a little farther back in time in my mind. Right. So, And it's only about a year difference, but in this case, it's right. a big difference. And I had thought of it as coming out a little bit earlier as well. I didn't yeah. realize it came out yeah. when it when it. And this is yeah, after yeah. the Battle of Midway. Right. This is after El Alamein. This is after the Russians have been invaded. Like yeah. the wars, the wars going the allies way by the time yeah but we're we're still in the thick of things oh yeah you know? oh yeah yeah um, definitely yeah the, this, out, is, the, this I mean, is around the time of the battle of curse because like the biggest right. battle in um, in world history yeah so i mean it's definitely still being fought but i think we knew who was going to win in 1943 oh, i think there are a lot of people with questions the only you know? it's a lot like the american civil war the only hope obviously the north was the more powerful side right the only hope was to wear them out yeah. and the, the nazis and the japan if the japanese had played their cards right they could have theoretically worn the Allies out. There's no right. way they're going to conquer the United States and the Soviet well, Union, and, and not you know. not not with the help of uh, of Rick and Louis. That's right. Going to that's right. going to where not we're with going? a beautiful friendship like that working. Against yeah, them. that's right. Well, exactly. what, uh, so I suggested this. So what yeah, do you think? I mean, this is this is like Raiders of the Lost no Ark. Brainer. This is a softball. <laughs> this is a classic. It it meets all the standards of a classic. It's got the outsides. So everybody says it's a classic. I've seen it a billion times. Yeah. Every time I watch it, it's different. I turn over a new leaf, and yeah. I appreciate the movie in a different way. To me, the definition of a classic is some kind of outside – people say it's good. Like yeah. other people who are smarter than me say it's good. But also the fact that I can come back to it and get something new throughout my life. I mean literally from – I think I saw this the first time when I was about seven or eight years old. And I've been watching it off and on for 37 years. 
To me, that's a classic. Right. I think that's maybe even the definition of a classic. It's something that you can watch in different time periods. You can you can yeah. you can watch it at different times in your life. You'll always get something new out of it. It's right. never going to just wither on the vine and die. I, I would just add to that legacy. Like yeah. what what is this yeah. influenced? Like well the what? fact that it's influenced multiple generations. Yeah. It's the original generation when the film came out, honored as best picture, did okay in the theaters. Then you and, and it served as a propaganda piece. Then mm-hmm. you've got, like I said, in the seventies with people starting to watch it that were in college yeah. that weren't alive when mm-hmm. the movie came out. And then I'm watching it in the nineties and aughts, right. and then I can maybe show it to my kids pretty soon yeah, as they absolutely. get a little older. Yeah. That's ah, a classic if you ask me. Me too. So I don't, right. I, don't, I don't. It's not a lot of drama there, frankly. Hold it by the stem. We're we're getting exactly what we want, so there's no drama. Right. Cheers. Cheers. So we're gonna wrap things up, I guess. Gonna wrap it up. Thank you for uh, joining us on this episode of Toasting Classics. Uh, next time we are talking about. Uh, I've forgotten what are we talking about. We are talking about, according to Spin Magazine, uh-huh. the greatest comedy album of all time. Okay, we'll leave it at that. And, that, uh, uh, yeah, let's let's leave a little let's leave a little drama because there was yeah. no drama on whether this is a classic. <laughs> let's right. leave some drama. I said I'll probably ruin it with my outro. Let's leave it at that. And uh, well, try not to. You don't have to. I have to. We I have just, to get people. Say, we people say, have to be ready with their drink. Okay. I could just well, tell them drink and not tell them what it's going to be. But I don't know. All right. Well, I'm a man of tradition. I think once we've established, yeah. this is episode forty. Right. I'm not going to change things now. Yeah. I think I'm going to keep doing it the way I've been doing it. Okay. Well, with that. Those in the classics. Those in the classics is out. Dave MacArthur. Clint Lanier. Peace out. Bye. That's it for episode 40 of Toasting the Classics. For those playing along at home, get some rum and coke for next week's show where we'll be talking about Bill Cosby's comedy album, To My Brother Russell, Whom I Slept With. If you'd like to get in touch, please send us an email at toastingtheclassics at gmail.com. Send us show ideas, comments, complaints, whatever. Check out my blog at theattractivenuisance.com and follow us on Twitter at at reactivenuisance. Our music was written by Michelle MacArthur. See you next time on Toasting the Classics.